Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. Hello there. We're starting to look at the books of the major prophets now, uh, beginning with Isaiah. And these are, if I had to sum them up in one word, long. Like, super long. Alright, no sense in dragging our heels. Let's get this going. Isaiah is a vision of destruction and hope for God's people. You know God's people. They're, they're the ones that we've been talking about every single episode, right? But... God's hope is in that gaslighty Bible way that it enjoys doing. So it points out that Israel is evil. Oh, by the way, right? It will talk about Israel, Jews, God's people, Judah, Jerusalem, and Zion in, as far as I can tell, pretty interchangeable ways throughout this book. So apologies in advance if I reach for the wrong one. Israel is evil. Again, this is back to Bible, not me dropping hot takes. It's it's evil because they have forsaken God. It keeps portraying Israel as a person covered in leaking sores, cuts and bruises, utterly surrounded by foreigners. In fact, Israel is like a hut in a cucumber field. This is one of the many times when reading Bible that I feel like my lack of cultural understanding leaves various similes pretty much wasted on me. I can only assume that cucumber fields are rubbish, and huts in the middle of them, doubly so. Israel's currently becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. God, in fact, has had enough of their offerings, has stopped listening to their prayers, and basically has had it up to here with their shit. Like, these people should be defending the oppressed, helping out those in need, instead of being massive cockholes. So God wants to drop his wrath on them, all his wrath on all his people. He doesn't even recognize these pricks anymore, and he's going to purify these bitches, but but with anger and fire. We start getting last day's prophecy, hinting at apocalypse, so this is early doors for world-ending stuff, but this is the mental bullshit that will turn on a lot of American right-wingers, so we probably should pay attention. Not because we agree, but because they are positively turgid at this hate-speak, so let's see if they might have missed something. In the end days, all nations are going to head to Zion. Well, to a mountain with God sat atop it. God's going to fix it for every one, and all violence between nations will end. And God's currently abandoned his people, as they are well spiritual, but in the wrong way. Like having idols and that, and, and money. They worship money, which is a big no-no. You listening, America? So, God's going to humble them and not forgive them. We shouldn't trust any humans. We've got to hide in caves and throw away our money. So, people on God's side throw away their money and hide in caves from powerful rich nations and are forgiven their transgressions or something, according to Bible. Doesn't sound dissimilar to Heaven's Gate, admittedly, but this is what we're doing. 
God's about to take everything from his people. The Jews will lose their land, money, food, horses, children are going to rule them. It will be all kinds of Lord of the Flies over there and God is looking forward to it. Anyone proud of their sins are setting themselves up to be utterly destroyed. Judea, that, that place is falling, right? The leaders and rulers are going to get judged hard as it's kind of their fault that God's people have been led astray. And get this, right? If all this nonsense isn't quite enough, God is going to make women rule over them. Imagine that! What about their emails? But don't panic too hard, right? Because God intends to fix this. He intends to cleanse Jerusalem. But cle cleanse it with judgement and fire. Check it, right? It's, it's simple, really. Think of a vineyard that's producing no grapes at all, so there's no wine. And the vineyard owner did everything right, feeding, watering, and whatever else you need to do. Everything right. What can he do? <laughs> he can burn that fucker to the ground and start again is what he can do. And the burning of the vineyard will purify the soil to make it easier to grow a great vineyard in its place. Like Israel and Judah, innit? I mean, as we're talking about booze, those champions of mixing drinks and heroes at drinking wine, they can all go fuck themselves. It's all gonna have to get totally fucked, but God is still gonna heal and still gonna call all nations to him. Right, we are only six chapters into this 66 chapter book, so <laughs> get involved. Now we get one of those descriptions of some angels that are surrounding God. I'm excited, because it's probably going to be like those Christmas tree toppers that are all popular the last couple of years. Here we go then. Uh, six wings, two covering their face, two covering their feet, and the other two making them fly. <sighs> Disappointing, that really. Like, like a flying feather ball. Not quite as spooky as I was looking forward to. Anyway, right, these disappointing angels are singing and their voices just fucking shit up. Isaiah is straight up telling them he is unclean so they so they burn his mouth. And yeah, if any of this sounds odd, it's supposed to. God reiterates that he will always make sure his people can hear him, but makes sure they don't really understand him, which seems a bit much. But anyway, right, God tells Isaiah to have a word with King Ahaz. Tell him not to worry about Israel wanting to fight them, because we're going to be chatting about that war between Israel and Judah, basically. God says it will be fine, and the enemies will get fucked, and his people will be alright. Uh, eventually. Then it's time for a potential Jesus cameo, at least a nod towards him, apparently, right? There's going to be a virgin who gives birth to a son called Emmanuel, which I'm guessing is Jesus in OT talk. But he will love him some honey and bees will come out of the king of Assyria or something, right? Lots of bee and honey chat going on and Assyrian king's going to shave all his hair off or something. We're going to be jumping around a lot in this book, so I'll do my very best to keep things making sense. But to be on the safe side, as a listener, you are going to simply up your game. You're gonna have to. For this episode, you can't really just have this shit playing as you go about your day. Sit down, pay attention, try to keep up. Azar's talking to Ahaz and tells him he's got to get a scroll and write on it, Mahershalah Hashbaz, which means like, quick to plunder or something, and it's a reference to the king of Assyria coming to take everything. With the scroll written on, Isaiah fucks off to bang the prophetess, who I assume is his partner, and she shits out a baby boy for him, if you will, a son. His son gets called Mahashallah Hashbaz, and I can only apologise for my butchering of those words, right? So, presumably, 
The previous sentence writing that on a scroll was a prophecy of this thing happening immediately after this sun will be screwed over by Assyria and God's people. It will be a mess and this is likely another hint at Jesus or a bit of writing that will be retconned by Jesus people later. Oh yeah, and don't ask the dead anything, ask God instead of fucking around with the dead, leave them be. Right, God still angry at Israel and threatening to rain horror down on them, but we get some more prophecies about a future child being born and being a prince of peace from King David's line, all that stuff. And Israel will feast on the flesh of their kids, which is metal as fuck. Uh, woe to those who don't look after the poor. The Assyrians are pricks, but God intends to use them as a weapon to fuck up his people, because remember, Jerusalem will have to be destroyed a bit f for a bit. And right, God's going to use Assyria to punish his people, but then once he has finished using them to punish his people, he will punish them, presumably for the atrocities they did to his people that he made them do. I don't mean to labour the point, but it's important we're all on the same page. God will make a group of people be pricks, and when he's finished with them, will chastise them for being pricks. <sighs> so God lets everyone know not to worry, as he will stop the Assyrians from destroying them. Not quite yet, you understand, but sooner or later. And if all this sounds a bit harsh, there is some fancy pivoting, where it is pointed out that this isn't technically punishing though, it's purifying. We get a metaphor about a tree's stump and a fresh shoot coming from the stump, a charming justification for cutting the cunt down. So God will fuck up all the people around his, animals will hang out with improbable animals, and the river Euphrates will dry up. Then you'll praise God, you'll see. Okay, we've been nice and vague time to get specific. We have a prophecy against Babylon and it's... It's horrible about God's cruelty coming down onto them, infants dashed in front of parents, wives raped in front of husbands, God being brutal and merciless in his godly way. And it starts to sound like the king of Babylon might be a stand-in for the devil or something, talking about being cast out and down to the pit, fire and brimstone, turned from God's sight, calling people the morning star, so Lucifer, which seems to work as a name for the devil, or angels or Jesus or the actual morning star or Venus or whatever planet and it's odd it's odd but yeah Babylon is just for owls I think but enough of Babylon for now onto a prophecy about Moab everything here will be destroyed in the night heads shaved beards cut off sackcloth for miles and water turning to blood it's a state is what it is so after a little bit more about Moab being a shit, a slight hint at Jesus who, uh, okay, right, let's address this very quickly. I do keep saying that this hints at Jesus, and I understand that this may be the single most offensive thing I say in all of these episodes. The book hints at a messianic figure, someone who will be anointed and sent to rebuild and grant salvation to everyone. When we get to the New Testament, we'll read loads about people saying Jesus is the answer to this, but this book is just pointing out that a saviour is on their way. Probs doesn't even mean Jesus. Next up, prophecy against Damascus. Basically, fuck Damascus. Then there's a prophecy against Egypt, fuck Egypt. A prophecy against the desert by the sea, not 
quite a specific, this one. Or maybe intensely specific. Again, right, fuck the place. Uh, something about a body wrecked in pain like a woman in labour. Fear makes you tremble. It's nasty stuff. Not really graphic, but just Isaiah seems extremely mean-spirited. We get yet more hints about a saviour, it seems to be taking with one hand and giving with another. Each section is saying that everything will get destroyed by God, but not in a horrid way you understand, because God's all loving, remember, but in a purifying way. But that, that tree stump that had the shoot coming out of it, the purifying, new life, all that, he still needed to brutally and violently chop the fucking tree down. Anyway, right, he will destroy so goodness can grow, and you'll there'll be a saviour along any minute now who will redo the covenant and all that. But you don't fool me, Bible. I know this is a violent book. There's no softness here. It's like beating your partner every day and keep screaming that you love them, and someday you'll treat them right when they deserve it. Prophecy against Tyre. Oh, no. Not Tyre. I liked them. That was the place where Solomon got all the gold and wood from for the temple. What did those guys do? Oh. Their leaders are little bitches and left them unattended, so God will have to send armies to destroy them, but God does say you may as well get shitted as you're gonna die. So God goes to Tyre when they're defenseless, tells them they're definitely gonna die because he is going to destroy them. So they may as well get really drunk. Drink up my hearties yo-ho. Right, listener, let me know if you remember something I've forgotten. Apparently, Ty will be forgotten for 70 years, but then it'll be like the song of the prostitute. What is that song? Have we been through it before? Or is Bible doing that thing again where it seems we know things outside of this book? What's the prostitute song? I bet it's a banger, but anyway, right, it'll be all chill like it is in that song that apparently we are perfectly familiar with. We've been through a collection of specific prophecies and now pulls out a more, uh, well, slightly more than a little, and lets us know that God will full-on lay waste to the earth, devastate it, destroy all of it. Humans have become all disobedient, destroy all of it. Like he said he definitely would never do again after no. Alright, well humans have become all disobedient again and God's had enough. The treacherous will be thrown into the pit. More allusions to hell, I, I reckon. Maybe. Perhaps. But Isaiah, regardless of all this, still wants to praise God, still insisting that he is ace despite all evidence. To the contrary, you've ruined everything. Amazing. You've been shelter from the storm and you've silenced foreigners. I'm sorry, what? You've silenced them. Just flat out killed anyone not from right here. This is Bible getting in early with a whole sort of if you don't like it, you can get out vibe, I guess. But Isaiah keeps on praising him for eating death, saving all who trust him, and fucking over Moab because remember, Fuck Moab. God is, in many ways, the best of all possible rulers, and all rulers other than God should be destroyed, but judgment is coming. Here's the rub. You see, God's sword <laughs> is massive, like way above average for a sword, and he will get it out and spurt his judgment all over the idiot faces of humanity. And for an encore, slay Leviathan. 
be hateful of idiots and make a second Israel, keeping it vague to fuel mentals in the future. Good work, God. This goes on, proper end times prophecy, again with vomit all over the place and reminding us all that this is a purification rather than a destruction, admittedly. To purify, destruction is needed, but still technically it is a good thing, not a bad thing, so shut up, I don't know why you're worried about it. Even those times he said he would destroy people and places, right? What he meant to say was purify. So really, if you want to accuse God of anything, accuse him of clumsy language and typos. It's not really that bad. With all that, everyone goes to Mount Zion, I think that's in Canada. Might be the new Israel they just spoke about, and anyway, right? There, people will worship God with their mouths. Now, does this mean singing praises or how, how to put this so it doesn't offend anyone? Are God's chosen people going to gob him off on top of Mount Zion? Now, after yearning down on God, there's some chat about a scroll being opened and judgment happening at that point. Remember this, it may come back in a later episode. Some more hate thrown as Egypt, fuck Egypt. God's full of wrath again and talks about a lake of fire and sulfur everywhere. Loads of imagery that seems all hellish again. I'm gonna guess this book is the start of what will come to be thought of as hell. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is definitely some building blocks of hellish imagery, but right, okay, gang. Ooh, we are halfway through. We're halfway through this book right now. Are you still with me, okay? We have got this, but we'll double time it, don't worry. God is well angry, first at obstinate children, and then at people thinking that Egypt is of any worth whatsoever. Fuck Egypt. Calling them out as nothing but a bitch for doing absolutely nothing. The people who are being prophesied to are straight up insulted, saying you can be redeemed and have salvation, but you don't want that, do you? You're much more interested in being a prick to God. But you can't outrun God's fire tongue, you'll be kicked into the lake of fire. A tulpeth, it's called, right? Sulfur, all over the shop in Tulpeth. Tulpeth is the worst, sometimes even worse than Egypt. Fuck Egypt. And don't you forget, right? Egyptians are mortals, they're not gods, like they'll try and convince you. Loads of shade keeps getting thrown over at Egypt here. Before God tells his peeps to chill out, don't worry about money or Assyria. Assyria will be made slaves themselves as payback, so that will be bestowed unto you guys. God's chosen people will have their own group of slaves, I guess. This book, if we are fair, is all over the place. Where are we? Uh, a king will rise up, idiots will no longer be respected, thank goodness for that one, and we get a time scale. In about a year, right? Not sure a year from when, but a year's time. Those who feel secure will famish, they will be destroyed by God, Ash. So the Lord, God to you and me, is going to fill Zion with justice. If you haven't already guessed, this book is littered with chat about Zion, so fear God is key to everything good and righteousness will be sorted, Jerusalem will be seen as a lovely place again and God will judge everyone so hard. All nations must listen this exciting bit isn't it right until now the bible's pretty much exclusively been speaking to god's chosen people but we now open the floodgates to the entire world that's the target audience of this fucking thing perhaps if god hadn't scattered everyone about after the tower of babel it would be a touch easier to speak to everyone 
Anyway, God's angry with everyone, all nations in the entire world, and as a result, everything's getting destroyed. Sky rolled up, stars dissolved, mountains dripping with blood, massive, massive metal. Mess, that's right, like was said about five minutes ago in an earlier chapter. But Edam and Balzar are going to get particularly fucked, covered in fire and sulfur, and even worse than that, they will be a home for owls. Fuck Egypt and fuck owls. I mean, are owls the very worst thing? Do they symbolise some sort of forgotten nonsense that I have no knowledge of? Kind of hope so? But right, but now we have a dramatic swing of the pendulum the other way, and we hear about everything being awesome. God's coming with vengeance to save you. All the ill will no longer have their ailments, and all will be redeemed. The speed that this book jumps from screaming you're a prick, God hates you, and you're getting got to God is love, and you're going to have the best life. It's more than a little alarming. It gives me whiplash. It reads like someone going through a manic phase, which is prophets through and through, really, but it's exhausting seeing how quickly we love, then hate, then love, then scream. Right, okay, after that load of fuck you, I love you business, we focus a little bit more on the Assyrian War. We're told that in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Assyria will attack all the fortified cities of Judah. Then we get this story that I'm sure we've heard before in one of the narrative books. Basically, Judah are told that Assyria will fight them. They're outnumbered and outgunned, all is doomed, but God says, chill. He's not going to let shit come to shit. Then the Assyrian king never enters the city. Then there's the whole deal with shooting an arrow, and where it lands, that's where God's angels will slaughter 100,000 Assyrian soldiers. We've had this story, haven't we? Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's that one again. But now Hezekiah gets ill and is ready to die. God says, psych, and gives him 15 more years years to live. He uses this extra time to accidentally show some people from Babylon everything him and his city have done, and is then promptly carried off to Babylon. Nice one, has he? And with that, it's time to confront Jerusalem. I know, you're just gonna have to keep up with this one, I'm afraid. It will not let up. So they got to prepare in the wilderness a place for God, because if God loves anything, he loves him some wilderness. In fact, we're just about to hear how ace God is, how, how compared to him, all nations are nothing, people on earth are like crickets to him. Again, a weird choice. I assume it means insignificant, and I can only guess that in the area this book was written, there was a, a cricket-rich environment. But if you can't understand everything, don't worry. They even have that covered, as they point out that God is quite literally fathomless. That's right, we are repeating everything we heard in the first half of this book. We're then told that all will meet in the place of judgement, which loads of far-right end-time politicians will have fun with in the future, but for now, probably up a mountain. God's all-powerful, the Alpha and Omega, don't fear, he'll destroy your enemies. The usual stuff is repeated, and then we get a charming little bit, whoever turns to idols is detestable. Fuck those idols, for I am the one who is praiseable. Fuck those idols. You get the idea. Well, after all that stuff, we get the next stage, which was heavily prophesizing a coming messiah. <sighs> Again. This fellow won't be angry or bring all those goddamn Gentiles along, release the captors, and basically make bad things better. It has a sense of charm that's undeniable, but it gets tied up with God going on about how full of love he is. Don't worry, in a minute, he'll be raining down hate on everyone again. But for right now in this chapter, nothing but love. 
So Israel should be scared, God's with them. No other God will give them the time of day. In fact, he is the only God there is. This, right, I think, is the first time that Bible claims there's only one God. Before this, it was focused on saying all those other gods aren't for you, they're for other people. They're dealing with their own thing, their own responsibilities, and if you look at them, you're a prick. But we up the ante here and claim that they simply don't exist anymore. I, I think. Uh, this is then repeated over and over for a while, jumping between saying he is the best of all gods to there are no other gods, back and forth it goes with this. What's what's next? Babylon has to lift its skirt up, dirty. God's going to spare no one with his vengeance on Babylon. Admittedly, he will allow his chosen people to be enslaved by Babylon for a bit first, but he can't have everything. And fuck you, Mystic Meg. All those fortune tellers, prophets, and astronomers are loser dickheads. Apart, apart from Isaiah, he's, he's dope, nothing wrong with that guy. Now we get a huge chunk of the book with God telling all his people that they simply aren't good enough. That loving him, claiming him as God is not nearly enough. They've fucked up so many times in the past that God essentially doesn't trust them not to fuck up again. So just loving him is not even close to being enough anymore. Like even Egypt, fuck Egypt, used to be good. And we all know what God thinks of Egypt. Fuck Egypt. Utter bastards, each and every one of them. Even they were good for a bit. Why should God trust you just because you're good? But don't worry, Messiah will be coming pretty damn soon. Right, everyone needs to have a sit down with each writer of Bible and explain to them exactly what soon means. This has been the cause of so much hostility and suffering. Idiots getting overexcited about the concept of soon with end time prophecies or salvation prophecies. Every goddamn sentence in this bastard should be followed by a hashtag not really but metaphorically in it and by the way, barren women will give birth to nations. It's going to be like Noah but with women and that shit will be incredible. Everything's going to be cool and the righteous will be spared but the offspring of prostitutes and liars are fucked big time, like annihilated fucked. In fact, right, if you're simply a bad person, God doesn't even want you to follow any of his rules. Because what's the point in you following and observing rules if you're only going to be a dick about it? No peace for the wicked? Man, so that's where the phrase is from. Well, technically, I guess it's from a few chapters ago, and but I forgot to mention it then, but you get what I mean. In fact, right, whilst we're on the subject of religious observance, we're always going to be on that subject in one way or another. You've all been doing the shit wrong for years. When you fast, you don't eat for a few days. What God intended was for you to help those who are needy. In fact, fuck you and your sacrifices. Fuck you and your praise. If you want to show love, show it to your fellow. Man, look the fuck after each other. If you don't give a shit about your fellow human, how in the fuck are you going to expect God to give even the slightest fuck about you? God is like, wow strong, will rebuild cities, fuck your enemies and look after you. That's all on offer, so don't be a cunt. After a brief calm down, we get a few more bits of chat about coming Messiah that will redeem all, a little bit of imagery of God destroying everything so the good can grow, again, purify, not destroy, and when it's all sorted out, you'll live for much longer than a hundred years, so that's something, isn't it? God reiterates that nowadays he hates all sacrifices, he will fuck up his enemies, and the worms that eat the bodies of pricks will never die. Nice that the worms get a shout out at the end of that book, isn't it? Well, there you go the first of the major prophets and I need a drink. I wonder who's next up. That's right, Jeremiah. I wonder if that will be as erratic. Ah, by the way, as a closing remark, 
if you ever read this book and wonder why it goes on for ages, that's because apparently loads of it was originally poetry that was forced into prose, and what do we know about poetry? That's right, all poetry is shit. Congratulations on listening to this episode of Better Bible. Start a club and share your favorite moments. Tell your loved ones we're here, and we will save you. Greg Bless. That's really stupid. Stupid. <laughs>